Let's go, folks. Time for the Gibby Show. Hey, doing baseball fans, and welcome to another special edition of the Gibby Show presented by Miller Lite, the official beer of Major League Baseball and the Gibby Show. I'm John Arezzi with just two shows remaining with this week in our series finale. Next week, we continue on as Gibby prepares for his new role as the New York Mets bench coach. We have a good one for you today. Joining us on the leadoff will be legendary baseball reporter and analyst from ESPN. Tim Kirchin will join us here on the show today. We'll also have another Best of Gabbing with Gibby segment brought to you by Tim Hortons. Today's show pulling highlights from our discussions with some Blue Jays announcers from the past and present uh, talking with Gibby. So that'll be really cool to check that out. And inspired by our friends at Miller Lite, we will toast somebody special in baseball. But let's get right to the leadoff. On today's leadoff, we are honored to bring on a true baseball legend. He's covered the game since 1981. He's one of the top Major League Baseball analysts ever from ESPN's Baseball Tonight. He covers baseball on SportsCenter, uh, regular on Baseball Tonight podcast, senior writer for ESPN.com, and a Baseball Hall of Famer with his 2022 induction, receiving the Baseball Writers Association of America's Career Excellence Award it's a pleasure to welcome Tim Kirchin to the Gibby Show. Tim, how you doing? I'm well, John. How you doing? Doing really well. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, certainly uh, uh, been watching you for years, and uh, uh, what an amazing career you've had, and it's just such a pleasure to have you here on uh, one of the last Gibby Shows ever. Well, it's it's my pleasure, and I'm sure this is not important, but my Canadian cousins all live in Toronto, I used to make a trip up wow. there every summer to see my uncle and aunt, my cousins, and my cousin Craig, who lives in Toronto. He, I got him somehow into the Joe Carter game in 1993. He was there. Wow. And uh, he still holds it as one of the great highlights of his entire life. So count me in, Canada. I have, I have cousins all over the place. That was great. Great story. And what a great uh, memory that is. My goodness, Joe Carter. Uh, well, the biggest story of this offseason was the one that broke the hearts of the Blue Jay fans uh, and the franchise. That was the signing of Shohei Otani to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Massive contract, $700 million over 10 years, uh, with 680 of that uh, million deferred. Uh, as an insider, watching it unfold uh, and what it means to the game of baseball, uh, give us your take first on that that entire Otani chase and his eventual signing with the Dodgers? Well, I'm not surprised he went to the Dodgers. I am surprised that he got $700 million. I figured after he heard his, you know, needed another Tommy John, it would drop to maybe six, maybe even 500 million. Instead, he got 700. I'm absolutely astonished that the way they built the contract Six hundred and eighty million of it is deferred, and this, of course, is being yeah. done so Otani can add more pieces, help add more pieces to the Dodgers, and make them really, really good again. As if they need any more help, 
Um, as for what it did for baseball, look, I totally understand anyone who thinks, look, this isn't right that you can defer that much money. This isn't right that a team with as much money as the Dodgers without a salary cap can go out and do this while so many other small market teams um, are going to have to pay for this in a way. There's also another way to look at this, that baseball, this was the biggest story in sports for multiple days. And wherever this guy goes with the Dodgers, uh, it's going to create an enormous buzz, which is great for the game. And since he is the most remarkable player anyone has ever seen, I think if anyone's going to get this money, it's him. Now let's see where we go from here. There's, there are two sides to the story, but as always, I'm going to take the high road and think that this is good for baseball that the highest paid player in the history of North American sports is Shohei Otani. And he's all we've talked about for like the last 10 days. Yeah, he certainly held up to winter meetings in regard to free agent signings and anything. Everything was like dead stop waiting for what Otani was going to do. And then the story circulated that he was on a plane to Toronto and that wasn't, uh, that wasn't true. So that was, uh, there was a lot of intrigue going on, especially during those final days. Uh, to your knowledge, did you know, I've heard reports uh, that the Jays also offered somewhere in the vicinity of 700 million to him. And uh, for Otani though, it was just LA was where he wanted to be at the, at the end of the day. Yeah, look, the the way I look at it, John, is they made a really good offer. And people in Toronto and people around the Blue Jays should feel at least good about that, that they were willing to go an enormous distance to get him, which shows how much money that group has and how interested they are in winning. That's all good. But I, I'm with you. I have felt all along. That, that the Dodgers were the perfect fit for him. That's where I think he wanted to go all along. Was he completely made up his mind on that? I don't think so. Was Toronto ever in the lead for this? They Toronto might have been, but in the end, the Dodgers won because I think of location and comfort and hitting behind Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman for the next 10 years or whatever we're going to call it. So, But I, I think... As terrible as it sounds, and this is no consolation prize for the Blue Jays, they made a real effort to get this guy. And he, as far as I can tell, strongly considered going to Toronto. That's, in a way, that's got to be a good thing for the Blue Jays and their fans. Uh, certainly. And uh, with the Jays losing out in Otani and Toronto having up to this point a pretty non-eventful offseason so far, uh, there are some uh, reports now surfacing that Cody Bellinger is uh, a, a prime target for the Jays. What have you heard in regard to Bellinger? Well, I think he should be a prime target for the Jays because I got a pretty good look at them the last week of the season last year, not to mention the whole season, but a really good look. That John, that was not a great offensive team last year, and you saw it in the numbers. And we, we just kept thinking these are the Blue Jays of several years ago when – they never were the Blue Jays offensively of several years ago. They traded Teoscar Hernandez. They let Lord. They traded Lourdes Gurriel. I mean, they traded outfield offense for outfield defense, and it it helped. I mean, Kevin Kiermaier was was great, and you know they did some really good things. But they did not have a great offensive team this year, and I think I don't think they underachieved. Uh, they didn't have a cleanup guy, so we talk all the time about Vlad Guerrero and my boy, he can't hit anymore. Well, you got to have somebody hitting behind him, and they really didn't have, have anyone hitting behind him the all the whole year. 
Cody Bellinger has refound that great swing of his, the one he had in 2019. Now, where it went for three years, even I'm not so sure, but he deserves a great deal of credit for going back in and saying, I got to fix this swing. There's something really wrong. Two-strike average went way up. Batting average against left-handed pitching went way up. Balls in play, way up. And even though he didn't hit it as hard as he used to, he had a great offensive season. He's exactly what the Blue Jays need. You can put him in center field every day. You can put him in right field or left field every day. You can play him at first base if you want. He can run. He's 27. I think he's back as an an elite player in the major leagues, and he's exactly what the Blue Jays need. Yeah, and the Blue Jays fans are certainly watching that uh, closely to see what develops there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the Jays uh, lacked thump. They lacked uh, that that power hitter, that cleanup hitter. Uh, so uh, when you say uh, uh, there was something missing, a lot of people who've been on this show have said there was something missing about that team. So uh, let's see what the front office does to rectify that. Uh, Cody would be certainly a great start. Uh, there's also kind of some talk out there about J.D. Martinez. Does he make sense for Toronto? Well, I wasn't sure he made sense for the Dodgers, and then he went out and had a great year for the Dodgers. That guy can hit, and yes, I think he would be a really nice addition. They really don't have a designated hitter, and although I'm a bit, I'm very much in favor of using your DH to rotate. You don't want a guy who doesn't play much defense. That's who J.D. Martinez would be. So let's say they don't get Cody Bellinger, and now they're looking at basically the same offense they had last year, minus, of course, potentially Matt Chapman. I think they need to go get J.D. Martinez or somebody like that because he proved he can still hit. Look, you got – I hate to say it, but you got to hit the ball out of the ballpark if you're going to win in the big leagues today. And I know we're getting some speed and some athleticism back in the game, and the value of the hit is finally starting to come back. But if you don't hit it out of the ballpark, you're going to have trouble winning, especially in the American League East. That's what the uh, the Blue Jays need to do, and J.D. Martinez could certainly help. Uh, other rumors out there, possible trade, uh, Kristen Yelich. From the Brewers, do you see Yelich, and I believe he has a no-trade uh, contract as well? Have you heard anything about Yelich at all, possibly? I, I have not, but, you know, the Brewers are in a different mode than they've been in recent years. Corbin Burns potentially on the move. Willie Adamas potentially on the move. I haven't heard Yelich. You know, he's got a huge contract, and even though he came back last year as a good hitter again, he's not. He's still not the hitter he was, who, the guy who won the MVP a few years ago, and you know, you need a little bit more you know, a little bit more pop from him if you're going to take on all that contract and give up what the Brewers are going to be asking. I haven't heard Yelich to the Blue Jays, but Yelich going somewhere makes sense, but it's got to be the right fit for him, and you know, the Brewers better be careful. They can't trade their whole team because uh, they're no. still trying to win up there. That is true. They have a lot of changes there for sure. I want to ask you one question about uh, Blue Jays and the pitching staff. Uh, obviously, they got a pretty elite staff. 
but there was one one gentleman, Alec Manoa, young kid. Uh, you thought he was on his way to winning the 2022 Cy Young Award and uh, said you'd actually vote for him on the Baseball Tonight podcast back uh, in June of 2022. Uh, talk to us about Manoa, his stunning fall from grace this season, which everyone, you know, their heart kind of breaks for the guy. I mean, uh, uh, from the 2022 Cy Young candidate to the young man who will try, now try, to win a spot in the Jays rotation in 2024. Yeah, I am really confused as to what happened to him. And I hate to put it this way, but this is the beauty of baseball, how that guy could finish in the top three of Cy Young in 2022 and then drop that quickly. Look, I love basketball, John, but, you know, no great NBA jump shooter averages eight points a game one, I mean, 28 points a game one year and then eight points the next year. That's what happened to Alec Manoa. And maybe he just didn't show up in shape for spring training. Maybe he was too big. Maybe, you know, the new pitch clock, he, he couldn't adjust to that. That was an adjustment for a lot of pitchers, including big pitchers who need to take a breath every once in a while. So maybe he's figured out what's wrong. But imagine him coming back and being the Alec Manoa from 2022. And he starts the season as your number five starter and then moves his way up. Suddenly, this Blue Jays starting staff is loaded. And with the way their bullpen pitched last year, that that puts them right in that race, that playoff race again, just on their starting pitching and their bullpen. So that's why it's so important to him. I would... I would not trade him until I get a new look at him in spring training and see if he's back as the guy who looked like the guy from 2022. It just didn't make any sense from durability stuff and mostly throwing strikes. It it just went south so quickly. Yeah, I agree. You got to give you got to give the guy a shot. Don't trade him now. Give him a shot. Spring training. See what he's got. And uh, there's a lot of people on his side for sure. I mean, and he's kind of beloved in that clubhouse. Uh, and we certainly hope uh, the best for Alec Manoa as he heads into 2024. I uh, want to remind everybody you are listening to The Gibby Show, presented by our friends at Miller Lite. This holiday season, when you're heading out to a party or enjoying friends and family at your home, don't forget to bring the Miller Lite with you to the festivities. They have been the official sponsor of The Gibby Show. And I know Gibby is certainly going to be partaking in those celebrations over the holidays. And I'm sure his favorite beer will be right by his side there as well. After all, any time is really Miller time. The light beer that tastes like a real beer. Miller Lite is the official sponsor of Major League Baseball. And right here on The Gibby Show. Corner booths. Sticky floors. Weekdays that feel like weekends. You never forget the way some things taste. Miller Lite. Great taste. 90 calories. Tastes like Miller time. And uh, before we let you go, Tim, we certainly appreciate your time here today. The namesake for this show, Gibby himself, John Gibbons, is now a member of the team where it all began for him, the New York Mets, signing on to assist uh, new Mets skipper Carlos Mendoza as the bench coach. Uh, give us your thoughts on uh, Gibby going back to the Mets, a good hire. Uh, what do you think about Gibby now returning to where it all started for him? Well, I think it's great. Uh, I love John Gibbons. I always have. always enjoyed being around him, learned an awful lot from him. Again, John, I'm 67 years old. I put a great deal of value 
in experience, in wisdom, in feel for the game. And the fact that John Gibbons has been around this long, done this many different jobs, played on the major league level, it is so important to have that veteran hand somewhere in the decision-making process. I mean, just look at the Astros two years ago, how Dusty Baker settled that ship. Just look what Bruce Bochy did when he came in and settled the Rangers when they lost 20 out of 30 games during the summer, and he never panicked. John Gibbons is never going to panic. He's going to look at Carlos Mendoza and say, look, I've been here before. Let me me show you what's going on here. It's absolutely critical to have someone around who's able to take a step back and say, don't worry about it. We got this or say there's something missing here. We got to go make a change. That's what John Gibbons can do because he's a great baseball man, period. Uh, We totally agree here at the Gibby Show, and we're so excited, even though it ends this show, technically, because it's the Gibby Show. Um, It it was kind of a dream. I've known Gibby for 42 years. We were roommates back in the minor leagues when we were both with the Mets in the early 80s, and J.P. Ricciardi uh, was our other roommate at the time. Uh, uh, So uh, uh, I've known John for a very long time, and uh, we're so excited for him. He wanted to get back in the game. Uh, He's in the game where it started. And so I think the Mets, uh, as you do, have a great, experienced, level-headed dude in that dugout next to a brand-new manager, Carlos Mendoza. So we'll have to see and wish Gibby the best of luck for next year. But uh, we also want to wish you the happiest of holidays, and we really appreciate you joining us here today. Nothing but thanks to you, and uh, we appreciate your time here today on the Gibby Show, Tim. Well, John, thank you for having me. Say hi to Gibby for me. Tell him I'll see him in spring training. Mm-hmm. One of my first stops will be the Mets, and I'll, uh, I'll well, maybe we, maybe I'll run into him somewhere along the way. You got it. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Now it's time for the third of four Best of Gabbing with Gibby segments, brought to you by Tim Hortons. And there is a new and fun lineup of giftable items for everybody on your holiday shopping list available now at participating Tim Horton restaurants across Canada. For example, you can give the gift of Tim's with a three-pack of Tim's scented candles and apple fritter French vanilla cappuccino and maple scents. You could pick up a snowy Timbits night 500-piece puzzle or the new limited edition Tim Hortons Winter Blend Fine Grind Coffee and Candy Cane Hot Chocolate Mix. Help a loved one to add to their Tim's collection with the new versions of the annual Tim Hortons Holiday Merchandise Favorites, including the Tim's Holiday Snow Globe, the Ornament, the Ceramic Mug, and the Stainless Steel Travel Mug. Plus, pick up some hot chocolate ornaments as a fun gift to include with your holiday cards, Tim Horton's holiday merchandise is available at participating Tim's restaurants across Canada while supplies last. Availability varies by restaurant. On today's special Best of Gabbing with Gibby, we go back into the archives and bring on some of the best announcer guests in the history of the Gibby Show. Enjoy this Best of Gibby with some of the present and past announcers of the Toronto Blue Jays. Mr. Buck Martinez. Buck, it's been too long, pal. You know, I, I, st- I still, uh, 
Well, our show primarily focuses on the Blue Jays, you know, so I, I watched quite a few games, man, and love listening to you. Always have. And, you know, I was telling these guys earlier, and I said, you know, when you're around Buck, you know, even like when I was managing, you were in the booth. Buck's one of those guys, since he's done everything, he's he's like a sounding board for you, you know, and he could discuss the game with you, give you, give you, give you some ideas on maybe this or that. And it's in, in, uh, that was very valuable to me. And, and as great as that, the description John gave of what you've done in the game, you're an even better guy, man. And, and, uh, and you gave me my first start in the big leagues as, as a coach. Uh, and it, it, uh, you know, I never forget that. You know what? I've been very fortunate to be in the game a long time. And I think you, you and I both have the idea that when you start to play the game, we only play because we love it. And I don't think any of us set out to say, well, I'm going to make this my whole career. This is going to be my whole life. But we've been very fortunate to have a career in baseball. And here I am, uh, you know, I, I think this is my 53rd year in the game, something like that, some ridiculous number. But I've been very fortunate. I, I signed and left California in 1967. I've been on the road ever since. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're right. You know, my, my thing was is, is – uh... I had to stay in the game because I couldn't find anything else to do. Nobody in the real world was trying to hire me to do anything. So. <laughs> uh, but I, hey, I can remember, you know, I got that. I was, I was your bullpen catcher uh, when, when I came over there. You know, I came over with J.P. Ricciardi. And, you know, it, it was, everybody kind of knew how things were going, right? Because you get bring a new GM, you know, and the manager. Same thing I experienced, you know, when Atkins and, and uh, Shapiro came over. You know, when things went bad, I was out. You know, and that, that, I get it. Um, but so I, was, I, you know, I tell people I wasn't the bullpen coach; I was the bullpen catcher. So I'd get down there every night, right? And I, and I, hey, Buck, I felt so bad for you because I said we got we have no pitching. I mean, we we've got our starting pitching stinks. We got nobody in the bullpen. I said, what the heck's Buck gonna do? And I and I was a poor sob that had to get down on a knee and get it loose every night. So so hey, I felt your pain, brother. <laughs> but I appreciate the opportunity. We can't play this game without pitching. And uh, I don't care how long we watch games or how much the game has changed. It's all about pitching. And uh, everybody wants it to be about offense and big numbers and hitting home runs. But the teams that win year in and year out, they pitch. And Dusty Baker's here now with us in Toronto with the Astros. And, of course, they won the World Series last year. And the reason they won the World Series was he did such a great job of keeping his bullpen fresh. And when they got to the postseason, they had the best bullpen in the postseason. And they just mowed through the whole organizations and did a great job to win the World Series. And, uh, you know, it, it's still, I'm all about pitching. If you can't pitch, you can't play. Show me who's better. Who is better because of all of this? I don't see anybody that's better. There's no Steve Carlton's. There's no Nolan Ryan's. There's no uh, Sandy Koufax's. And it, nobody's better. Yeah, they've got a lot of these people. You know, when you fly on a charter now, there are more associates than there are players. They have more people <laughs> to the players than everybody else, and, and the players aren't any better. You know, I would buy into analytics if you could prove to me that analytics has made the game better, but it's not any better. You know that. You watch games, and, and you and I came up at a time, and I came up before you, obviously, but we came up at a time when you saw what was going on in the field, and if a guy was dealing, you let him pitch. And if he wasn't dealing, Johnny Padres, the old pitching coach for Jim Fergosi, had a great line. Fergosi would lean over and say, how many pitches does he have? And Padres would say, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's so true. You know, they, they, used to, they used to say, hey, 
this guy manages too much with his gut. No, it's, it's not your gut, man. It's your eyes, man. Your eyes will tell you what's going on in the game. And then you yeah. factor in the score. Where they, they, let's milk as much as we can out of this guy because them, them boys out in the bullpen, they're smiling, go, thank you, thank you, thank you. Give us a break, you know. So, right. But the game's so, definitely the, changed. The hitters always would tell you when it's time to take a picture out. You know that. And it's uh, and nowadays they, they, they have a predetermined time when the guy's coming out of the game. And, you know, Chris Bassett threw a complete game shutout not long ago, and it was like, wow, how did he do that? Well, he doesn't throw 98. He throws eight different pitches, and he just pitches. And, uh, you know, the essence of pitching is to keep the hitter off balance. And, uh, you know, you came up with the Mets when they were all about pitching, and they had some great pitchers, and they would go out there. Chris Carpenter told me, and and you were with us, we had Carp, and, and Carp said, my job as a starting pitcher is to win the game. Well, now because of analytics, they have de-emphasized what winning is. They say wins don't matter. Wins matter to the manager. Oh. <laughs> You're darn right. Jerry Howarth. I got one more historical uh, question for you. And, uh, of course, your catchphrases are just embedded <laughs> in everybody's minds. And hello, friends. And there she goes. Hello, friends. <laughs> and there she goes. Uh, give us the origins of those two catchphrases. Well, I'll start uh, from the beginning here. I, I came up here in 1982, and my uh, my father came up to see me in 1983. My dad's name was Jerry too, and I was I wasn't Jerry Jr. and I wasn't Jerome, which was his name. I was just Jerry, which he wanted. And in 1983, we're visiting a little bit, and he. He goes out to a few games at Exhibition Stadium, and the Blue Jays will win a game or two. And he says to me, Jerry, he says, I have an idea for you you can use on the radio. I said, Dad, what is it? And he said, whenever you're at the microphone and the Blue Jays score the first run, of, they scored their first run in a game, why don't you say, and the Blue Jays are in flight? And I said, Dad, I love that. I never even thought about that. And the Blue Jays are in flight. And I said, Dad, I'm doing that for you the rest of my career. And I did. For the last 34 plus years, the Blue Jays are in flight when I had the microphone and they had scored their first run. Well, it was also about 1983 that I'd never had a home run call in AAA baseball. I wasn't interested in being cute or fancy or anything like that. I just wanted to call the game and be basic and tell the fans what was happening and describe what was happening. Well, we're at Exhibition Stadium, and um, I have the third inning, and one of the Blue Jays hits a home run to left field up into the North Grandstand, and it came out, and there it goes. And so as the home run was called and the Blue Jay hit home plate, I said to myself, hey, that's a possibility. I, I want to think about that. Maybe, maybe that's something I can use in the future. Well, the very next inning, I caught a break, and another Blue Jay hit a home run. And this time it gave the Blue Jays the lead. And I said, and there she goes. And I said, Jerry, that's it. That's exactly the home run call that I want to use. And I use for the rest of my career. As far as hello, friends, I was not the lead announcer. My partner, Tom Cheek, was the lead announcer for we were together like 22 years. And yet, sadly, in 2004, in the middle of the season, he developed a malignant brain tumor that would take his life 16 months later. It was just so sad to see that happen because Tom had called 4,306 consecutive games before his father passed away when we were on the West Coast and he went to be with his dad just an hour away from the Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area. 
Well, I, in the second half of that season, moved to the number one seat. And I said to myself, okay, Jerry, you've been here now since 1982. You know everybody across Canada. In the wintertime in January, I would go on the Blue Jays caravan from the East Coast to the West Coast. So I really got to know so many people across Canada. They were friends of mine. And I said to myself, I don't want to just come on the air now as the lead announcer for Tom and say, hello, everybody, or hi, everyone. I said, these are my friends. So I'm going to come on the air and say, hello, friends. This is Jerry Howarth, and welcome to Blue Jays baseball. And that's what really started that because I felt these were my friends. It was a whole different country that I would be a part of now for 15 years and would be for the rest of my life. And that's what started that. That's, that's awesome, Jay. Dan Schulman. I remember when I came back uh, to the Blue Jays in 2016, I didn't do all that many games. I wish I'd done more. You and I could have spent some time together and had a few pops together and shared some stories. Oh. I think. But <laughs> I, re I remember the first time I walked into your office and and introduced myself and, and you know, you said uh, and you were kind enough to say, sit down and we talked for a while and. Um, it, it was great. I've been very fortunate. I've been very lucky to do a lot of great stuff at ESPN that I've uh, that I'll always remember. And, you know, I'm a Toronto boy. Right. So being able to call games for your hometown team, too, I think I've kind of had the best of both worlds. This is kind of a two parter. And I got a follow up for you, Dan. Um, what was your most memorable call as a Blue Jays announcer? And then maybe your most memorable call of your career in general? So there, it's a good question, and I've been so fortunate, again, between working for the Blue Jays um, or calling Blue Jays games. I did it back in the mid to late 90s, right after the, the two uh, World Series years, and then I went full-time to ESPN for many years, and now I've come back. The funny thing is my most memorable moment calling a Blue Jay game was not calling it for Sportsnet or TSN or anybody in Canada. Uh, I happened to be on the bat flip game for ESPN radio. One of the, the great pleasures of my career has been uh, calling the playoffs for ESPN radio for 28 years. This is actually the first year that I'm not going to do that. And uh, I was on the Cub Cardinals series that year. And I think the Cardinals won. And my boss called me and he said, um, what are you doing? I said, I'm going home tomorrow. I'm going to game five. I got tickets to game five. He said, we got a problem. We had to move some announcers around. Can you call the game? And I said, sure. So they kind of parachuted me in to do game five of that series. Rick Sutcliffe and I called game five of that series for ESPN radio. And nobody in Canada knows it because in Canada, they either heard the US TV call or they heard Jerry Howard's call on the radio. My call was heard on the radio all through the US. But to be in the ballpark in that moment for that game and the seventh inning of that, I don't know about you, Gibby, the seventh inning of that game is the oh. single most unbelievable electric atmosphere I've ever been in in my life in, in any sporting event. So um, that's one of them. Um, I've never, you, you know, so during the, uh, when I do the games, John, on TV, uh, those are just regular season games, except uh, we do have the right to do some playoff games going forward. So if the Blue Jays make the playoffs, we'll continue to call the games for Sportsnet, which is awesome. But, you know, I've, I've been, whether it's Canada Day or opening day, again, I'm a Toronto boy. So um, all of those things, you know, mean mean a lot to me. But I would say the Jose Bautista bat flip. In terms of biggest, uh, so I do a lot of college basketball, as you guys probably know. And, and um, I don't care if it's at Duke or North Carolina. And I don't care if they're up or they're down. It's Duke and Carolina. And yeah. doing all of those games mean mean the world to me. And I'll tell you something I just did that you guys might not know, but it's it's known up here. 
Um, I just called. I was doing double duty for a couple of weeks, doing Blue Jay games at night. And then early in the morning, I was calling FIBA basketball, the World Cup of basketball. Like, think the World Cup of soccer, but basketball. Mm -hmm. Canada's got its best team ever. The games were in um, Indonesia and the Philippines. So I'm calling them off a monitor from a studio in Toronto. So I'm calling like Canada, France at 4.30 in the morning and then doing the Blue Jays <laughs> at night at 7 o'clock. So I've discovered uh, how many coffees is too many coffees uh, during a day. Um, but Canada did great. They qualified for the Olympics. They beat France and Latvia and Spain uh, in, in a must-win game. And then they beat the United States for bronze. And by far the best showing they've ever had. And, uh, you know, I love Canada and I love basketball. So it, as um, as funny as it may sound, what I did the last couple of weeks calling those games has been about as much fun as I've ever had. Kind of walk us through what happened that night on May 1st, 2011. I'll give it to you as best I remember. So it was the Mets at the Phillies, Sunday Night Baseball. And I'm in the booth with Bobby Valentine and Oral Hershiser. That was the crew that year. Bobby was sitting right beside me, Oral on the other side of Bobby. And... Seventh inning, I want to say, we go to break and Bobby, or I don't even know if we were, were in break. Bobby kind of nudges me with his elbow and shows me his phone. And it's a text. I don't, I, I never saw who it was from, or I never noticed who it was from. But I do remember what the text said. And all it said was, we got Bin Laden. And I looked at Bobby and Bobby looked at me like in the games going on. And, you know. 2-1, grounded out to short over the first two down, like you're trying to call a baseball game at the same time. So I went on talkback, which for people who don't know is, is an ability for me to talk to the people in the truck without it going out over the air. Our producer is there and, and news editor and so forth. And I said, do you guys have anything on Bin Laden? And I said, Bobby just showed me a text. And they said, yes, we're trying to corroborate it. Don't say anything, just call the game. So for the next like 60 seconds, 90 seconds, you know, there's a pop up, two down, and and you're trying to call the game, and and then they're trying to help me out. And I think we go to break the half inning ends. We go to break, and we come back out, and I give a bit of a statement. And and, and to be honest with you, in hindsight, I I, I played it in, incredibly safe. I think I could have done better, but you know, it's 2011, but people had phones already, and news is flying already. Like this wasn't like 1980 or anything like that. So we start talking about it. And of course, Bobby Valentine was the manager of the Mets uh, during 9-11 in 2001 and was very visible. And the Mets as a team were visible in front and center, down at ground zero and that sort of thing. So I had a great resource for perspective sitting beside me um, in Bobby Valentine. And within two or three minutes, maybe maybe a little more, but it felt like two or three minutes, people start seeing, you know, you can see people their eyes bulging, they're looking at their phones, talking to the people beside them. And then this unbelievably large USA, USA, that chant breaks out um, at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. 40,000 people are now chanting USA, USA. The only people who don't know what's going on are the players who are on the field. They have no clue what's going on. Um, as, as they came off, as the defense came off the field, security guards, camera people, uh, everybody found out pretty quickly, but it sounded like, uh, almost like an Olympic hockey game where people were cheering for the United States with this unbelievably loud chant of USA, USA. So for the next while, we kind of balanced back and forth calling a baseball game and talking about this. And, and again, I, I'm not trained to talk about huge world news events that's not what what i do 
Um, so I played extremely safe. And I think in hindsight, I could have uh, done a little better. And then I got a text like the next half inning from Mike Tirico, a good friend of mine, outstanding announcer, Mike Tirico. And he said, Danny, you're on the only live. It's Sunday night baseball in May. Nothing else is happening right now. There's no football. There's no. He said, you're at the largest gathering of Americans anywhere in the world right now. There's nowhere else in the world where 40,000 Americans are sitting in the same spot. He goes, that's part of the story, too. And so and he was right. So there were a ton of crowd shots. Um, you know, our camera people are great. They actually found people with USA hockey jerseys or jackets and everybody was holding them up. And then because baseball is going to baseball, the game went like 13 innings and <laughs> we were on the air for like two more hours. Um, and it was just a surreal experience juggling back and forth, trying to lend some perspective to this. And also like the baseball, they still played the game. Right. So we had to document the game. But, you know, I just kept saying ABC is part of the Disney family, ABC and ESPN. So I just kept saying for more, go to your ABC News affiliate and that sort of thing. But it was um, it's something I'll never forget. Again, I think I could have done a little better handling it. But uh, I was just trying to quarterback the situation a little bit, throw it to the studio, give it to Bobby. Let the pictures tell the story. Oh, yeah. Call the double that just happened. You know, stuff like that. So it, it was uh, certainly a night I will I will never forget. It was really ironic. You had Bobby Valentine with you because yeah. he was so instrumental when yeah. that happened. And, you know, the the uh, and it was uh, so close by as Philly. Right. Yeah. At right. Chase yeah, Stadium, so they New opened York up Chase the Stadium. Yeah, they opened yeah. up Chase Stadium as a as a place for uh, the uh, first responders and to distribute uh, the supplies. And right. what an amazing story. Uh, once I read that, Dan, I, I had to ask you about it because I, I just felt it. I just felt it was a fascinating story. And thank you so much for letting us know about that experience. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and again, the other thing I wanted to keep in mind, too, is I'm Canadian. So I wanted to be incredibly respectful and make sure I didn't say the wrong thing that would offend any American because um, you know, there's a, a tremendously close bond between our two countries, as 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 you know. But I was just so careful because so many people watching probably lost a loved one on 9-11, right? And and there were so many New Yorkers watching because the Mets are playing and so many New Yorkers in the crowd in Philadelphia. I, I mean, you know how it is. There were probably 10,000 Mets fans at the ballpark at, 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 on, in that, on that Sunday night in Philadelphia. So uh, yeah, it's not something uh, it's not something they can teach you about in school. You know, it it, it really wow. isn't. That, that's the beauty. And the um, that's I guess that's the beauty of of live TV is you just sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I don't do scripted stuff. I don't do tape studio events. It's just not where my career took me. And so I'm, I'm very comfortable doing the live unscripted stuff. But that night was uh, that, that was quite something. Now inspired by our friends at Miller Lite, it's time to toast somebody special. And this week's toast goes out to an individual who has become, in essence, the ace of the Toronto Blue Jays pitching staff. He finished the 2023 season with 3.16 ERA, led the American League with 237 strikeouts and a 5.3 war. This week, he was chosen on the All-MLB second team the only Blue Jay who made the cut. And another reason we're toasting this individual today is his defense of the city of Toronto during the Shohei chase when there are those out there in the world of social media disparaging the city. On December 11th, he sent out this post on X. I hate 
seeing people talk blank about Toronto like they know it. If you live in Toronto, you know how special it is and what a great place it is and how passionate the people are. And that was a hashtag of Go Canada and Go Blue Jays. So in honor of his being selected to the MLB team, the all-MLB team, and for his continued elite pitching for the Jays and his unwavering love for the city of Toronto, this week's toast goes out to Kevin Gossman. Corner booths, sticky floors, weekdays that feel like weekends. You never forget the way some things taste. Miller Lite, great taste, 90 calories. Tastes like Miller time. Before we wrap up this edition of the show, I want to talk about our final show next week. Back in 1981, Gibby and I were roommates sharing a place in Shelby, North Carolina, where we were both with the Mets Class A affiliate in the South Atlantic League. One of our other roommates was a young infielder named J.P. Ricciardi. J.P. was instrumental in Gibby's life and career, giving him his chance with the Blue Jays when J.P. was the GM. Next week, we go full circle right here on the finale of the Gibby Show when none other than J.P. Ricciardi will join us as the final guest. And there could be some surprises as well right here on the show. I can't wait for that one. Well, that'll wrap up this edition of the Gibby Show. I want to thank our executive producer, Mark Millier, and thanks to our creative director, Chris Sabunia. You can find me on Twitter at Instagram, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, threads at John Arezzi. If you're a fan of pro wrestling, please check out my other two podcasts. That's John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight and Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or on YouTube. And don't forget, if you're looking for that last middle holiday gift, go out and get Gibby Tales of a Baseball Lifer available everywhere. For John Gibbons, this is John Arezzi. Remember, we will be back next week for the finale. One more show on this incredible run. I want to thank and wish all of you Merry Christmas, Happy Boxing Day, and the happiest of holidays. As always, thank you for listening to The Gibby Show.